This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Star Trek Spirits. Visit StarTrekSpirits.com today for Romulan Vodka and Romulan Rye. Take 10% off your order with special code Roddenberry at StarTrekSpirits.com. This episode is also sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at Patreon.com slash Mission Log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 488, Fair Trade. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we seek to make a deal. We'll examine Star Trek, and then we'll size it up for morals, meanings, and messages, and see if it all holds up at the end of the day, or if we get double-crossed and have to find a clever way out. This week, Fair Trade, the one where the title alone should indicate that the trade in question is definitely not fair. I'll be right back with some trivia to sweeten the deal for you right after some additional business from Norm. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. We'll have John's trivia for you in just a moment, but first a word from one of our sponsors this week, and that is you. Norman, I'm so excited that almost every day we see a new name pop up in our Patreon subscriber list. And then those become people who show up in Discord and we really get to know each other and engage with some great conversation over there. I'm going to skip to the part that I usually do last, which is to say thank you to Philip, Nick, Ryan, Kyung, Kigar, Reese, Michael. And I saved this one for you, B5, for the first time. I was thrilled and nervous seeing them (laughs) in Patreon. I'm like, oh, these guys are going to hunt me down. Babylon 5, all these guys are pros. What am I going to do? But see, that just indicates (laughs) it's so cool because it shows that the diversity of what's in our Patreon community is not just about Star Trek. I mean, there is definitely a lot of that. But you've been doing live Babylon 5 chats every week and to have people from the Babylon 5 community sign in so they can be a part of that. It's so cool to keep expanding, broadening our reach that way. Well, Jeff and Brent, they're also really big Star Trek fans. And one of the caveats they have for their Babylon 5 for the first time show is they look at it through a Star Trek lens as well. Nice. So I think it's a really neat angle because it's a completely different show and it's not the same Roddenberry-esque future humanity of optimism and hope that 
Star Trek is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so lots of conversation to be had there. Lots of conversation to be had about a number of topics. So remember, when you join our Patreon, you're not just getting the early access to shows and the cool swag that is exclusive there. You're also becoming a member of the Mission Log Discord, which is exclusive to our Patreon community. So join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. We will see you there. And now here's John Champion with this week's trivia. All right, fair trade. We have a story by Ronald Wilkerson and Jean-Louise Mathias. And we saw these two familiar names back in season one of Voyager with the episode Learning Curve. And you may remember that both of them were credited on a total of four episodes of TNG, including Lower Decks. Remember that because that will become relevant in a moment for another connection. They also have a credit on Schisms, and that's just because I like saying it. (laughs) The story for today's episode is actually something they had pitched way back in season one as a Neelix story, giving him some layers to his backstory. The idea moved to the back burner for a very long time until the teleplay duties went to Andre Bormanis. And I think most of us definitely know his name as the science consultant for the vast majority of TNG, DS9, and Voyager. And then he moved into a producer role on Enterprise. He had already read and studied just about every script that came through the production, all of those productions, actually. And with this assignment, it was his turn to write one himself. And he took the basic elements of the pitch from the Ronald and Gene pitch that they had written, but he fleshed it out with some very important elements like, oh, the massive Nikrit expanse and the whole concept of getting away from any place that was familiar to Neelix. And uh, we'll, of course, see more credits from Andre as we go along. This was directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino, new to the series, but not new to us. This was actually Jesus' first directing gig on Star Trek, but we have already discussed him on the three episodes of DS9 that he directed in seasons five and six. Those would be The Begotten, Sons and Daughters, and The Reckoning. While those are his only Trek credits, some of Jesus' other genre directing credits include Space Above and Beyond and, uh, wait for it, Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. Now, this episode got an Emmy Award for Outstanding Hairstyling. Sorry to say, DS9, you got beat out that year, even though DS9 was nominated in the same category for its episode Trials and Tribulations. But Fair Trade took home the prize. By the way, that model of the space station in this episode, that is a redress of the same model used as the Akrotirian prison in the shoot that we covered not that long ago. Norman, I was thinking about this, you know, in the greater scheme of things, as Star Trek reuses props and models and all kinds of stuff, I I think this is one reuse that actually kind of makes sense. I think it works really well because we're in the same quadrant. We're not that far away. Who's to say that this isn't just, you know, building materials from the same supplier making this as they made the, uh, the prison? So... I'm just excited you got Akrotarian there. I'm shocked that I got it right. I practiced all night before Mm -hmm. recording today. Uh, Let's meet our guest stars. Hey, we have a new crewman. We meet Ensign Vorek, played here by Alexander Enberg. And while this is a new character for us, this is neither our first time seeing Alexander nor his first time as a Vulcan. 
He was in Centauric in the TNG episode Lower Decks, so there's your second connection. But even before that, we saw him in his human form as a reporter in Time's Arrow Part 2. Alexander happens to be producer Jerry Taylor's son, and she even joked that she felt like Torek and Vorek were twin brothers, so why not? Now, this episode of Voyager was shot out of order, so it's actually the next one where Vorek was introduced, and he will be around for more. Another returning actor here is James Horan, who is playing Tossin, the Kalati. We saw him on TNG in the episode Suspicions as Jabril, and then in his human form as Lieutenant Barnaby in Descent Part 2. We saw him twice as the Jem'Hadar Ikatika on DS9, and we're going to see him yet again in Enterprise in an important role there. Now, making a one-time Trek appearance here is Steve Kahila as Sutak. Uh, he's a drug dealer. I mean, the character, not the actor. You may have caught him a few months before this episode first drop, and he provided a voice for Space Jam, of course, the 1996 movie. And since then, he has appeared on camera or as voice talent for a wide range of projects, everything from Frost Nixon to SpongeBob SquarePants. There is a map vendor who isn't much help to Neelix, and he is played by Eric Howell Sharp, though magic aficionados might recognize him as Sharpo, who performs at the Magic Castle, among other places, and uh, performing and producing murder mystery shows. Bahrat, the administrator of the space station that we visit, is played by Carlos Carrasco under heavy prosthetics, is how we have seen him before, because he was a Klingon twice on DS9, two different Klingons, in fact. He was Degore in the House of Quark, and then he was an unnamed officer in Shattered Mirror. He had a uh, different complicated makeup in Honor Among Thieves when he played Kroll. Remember, he was a non-Orion member of the Syndicate. And finally, let's meet a new Talaxian. That would be Wixaban, played here by James Nardini. If you go way back to 1986, the extremely short-lived TV series Fast Times, a primetime version of the hit movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, well, that aired on CBS for a total of seven episodes. Every character from the movie was recast, except for Ray Walston as Mr. Hand. And in his TV debut, James Nardini played Brad Hamilton. That was the role that was originated in the movie by Judge Reinhold. But James continued to work through the 80s and 90s, and in more recent years, he has appeared in short films, as well as guest and recurring roles on shows like Criminal Minds and Dark Prophet. This is his only Star Trek credit. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Feeling a little lost? Maybe ask a random Tlaxian for a map, like he's a Wikipedia. Prologue. Neelix has had a very busy morning. At the start, he made sure that Tuvok was good and well reminded that he was supposed to accompany him in order to learn the ropes of Starship security protocols in order to perhaps take advantage of an opportunity to help overall with ship security. Neelix believes he has more to offer Voyager beyond his current role. Hold that thought. Later, Neelix pesters Balana and Ensign Vorik in engineering, hoping that he could learn more about the ship's systems because he believes he has more to offer Voyager beyond his current role. 
Suddenly, Janeway summons Neelix to the bridge to actually perform the duties of his current role and asks him what appears on Voyager's main viewing screen. Neelix recoils at the sight of what he believes is an area of space called the Necrot Expanse. Act 1. Even though Neelix was originally brought on board to be Janeway's guide through the Delta Quadrant, he isn't exactly sure how to best proceed in this region of space. He suggests going around the Expanse, but Tuvok sensors confirms that it's thousands of light years wide. Janeway may have added even a little extra performance pressure on Neelix, stating that they will be leaning on his expertise more now than ever to get them through this Necrit Expanse. Neelix then suggests that there is a nearby supply depot, but can't remember exactly where. Not to worry, Chakotay's sensors pinpoint its exact location. The score? Voyager's sensor technology 2, Neelix 0. Sometime later, Janeway beams down and meets with Barat, the station supervisor who welcomes the captain, but is very clear about how he runs a very orderly station and that her ship's trade-related business will be closely monitored and, if successful, will cost an additional 20% in commission fees. Meanwhile, amidst the hustle and bustle of the traders and vendors, Tom and Chakotay are propositioned by Sutok, a hooded alien who doesn't have the spindle bearings they need, but has Rudulian crystals instead, which are designed to bring about exquisite rapture, even in the tedium of space travel. Neelix is also searching the post for something more specific, a map of the Necrid Expanse, which apparently is incredibly rare and difficult to procure. However, Wix, a fellow Talaxian and a familiar face from Neelix's past, suddenly appears and perhaps has a solution to Neelix's current dilemma. They find a local pub and share a few Taffa ales and catch up on old times, which when they last saw each other, weren't exactly the best of times. It turns out that Wix took the fall for Neelix after a deal with the Ubians went south. But Wix doesn't hold that against his old friend in any way. As far as Wix is concerned, let bygones be bygones. Even so, Neelix confides in Wix that he may be put off the ship unless he can prove his value to the captain. And the only way he can do that is to find a map of the Expanse and prove to Janeway that she is right to keep him on. Act 2. On Voyager, after Wix delivers some of the supplies Chakotay and Tom were looking for, he's brought to see Neelix who's busy in his kitchen. And after Chakotay leaves, Neelix invites Ensign Vorik to give Wix and Neelix the room so that they can talk privately. When the coast is clear, Wix spells out that he's in a bad way, that he can't do any business because his shuttle has been impounded, but he has a plan. Or more like a multifaceted deal to get Neelix and, in fact, Captain Janeway everything they are looking for that the station has been unable to provide, especially the Pergeum, and most importantly to Neelix, the map of the Necrit Expanse. All Neelix has to do is follow Wix's lead and not tell anyone on his crew exactly what he was doing. What could possibly go wrong? After secretly commandeering one of Voyager's shuttlecrafts to procure and then deliver certain medical supplies from parties unknown, Wix and Neelix prepare to covertly meet with one of their buyers on the station. Prepare, as in making sure that Wix arms himself with a phaser, you know, just in case. Because again, what could possibly go wrong? Well, after Wix's buyer, who coincidentally is Sutok, you remember him, the hooded alien guy that tried to push drugs on Tom and Chakotay earlier? Well, it turns out that these so-called medical supplies that Wix brought back to the trading post are in fact illegal contraband. 
Sutak reneges on the deal, takes the supplies, and begins shooting at the Talaxians. Wix fires back and kills Sutak in the process, and both Wix and Neelix beam out back to the shuttle and barely escape with their lives. Act 3 Fleeing from the scene of the crime, Neelix and Wix are headed back to Voyager to not only return a possibly overdue shuttle, but to also plan their next move. Neelix is furious with Wix for holding out on a few of the details, like, oh, let's see, drugs, for one. But Wix is quick to remind Neelix that it's not like he's not used to running contraband. After all, Wix knows a thing or two about Neelix's real past, and dangles that very leverage in front of Neelix in such a way that it would be a shame for any of Neelix's past transgressions to be aired out in front of all these fine people Neelix has befriended, in his newfound family aboard Voyager. Wix also makes sure that Neelix owes him for the year that he spent in the Ubian prison cell eating worms to stay alive while vermin tortured him daily, one nip and chew at a time. Later in the briefing room, station manager Barat has arrived and informs Janeway that a murder happened on his station and that his investigation detected an alien energy signature at the murder's location. This energy signature was from a Federation phaser. Janeway places Tuvok in charge of the investigation, who then meets with Neelix to first discuss his relationship with his fellow Talaxian, Wix. Neelix dismisses Wix and nothing more than a passing acquaintance. However, pressing the investigation further, Tuvok, with Neelix in tow, also interrogates Wix, who cavalierly dances around Tuvok's rather pointed questions. And after Tuvok leaves... Wix once again maneuvers Neelix into agreeing to steal some of Voyager's warp plasma in order to pay off the Kaladi, the actual buyers from the earlier drug deal that went south. Act 4 Back on Voyager, Neelix appears to have accidentally found Tom in a supply room, while Tom is looking for a proper shipping container to pick up a supply of biomimetic gel from the depot. While Neelix helps look for the case, he subtly asks Tom about why he was imprisoned. Tom simply said that, in the final analysis, it was simply because he didn't tell the truth, that he was dishonest, and that if he just told the truth from the beginning, things would have been a lot better for him. And with that, Neelix finds Tom Wayward's container and leaves Tom with a very confused expression on his face. Later, Neelix has a brief chat with Ensign Vorik, who explains to Neelix exactly what he wanted to hear, that to Vorik, and in the same way to Neelix, that the challenges on Voyager are rewarding, and the people on board are on a wonderful place to be. And with those most recent emotional affirmations, Neelix just can't bring himself to steal Voyager's warp plasma. When Neelix meets with Wix on the station, he confesses that he couldn't steal from those who he considers friends. And when a commotion stirs in the trading area, Neelix and Wix, thinking the authorities are coming for them, are aghast to watch them race across the length of the room to arrest Tom and Chakotay instead, with the charges of murder and dealing illegal drugs. Later, Janeway and Barat go round and round after a recording of Tom and Chakotay's surface being peddled drugs by Sutak earlier in the trading square, but it's only circumstantial evidence. Even so, the actual guilt weighs most heavily on Neelix, who can no longer bear withholding the truth that can clear Tom and Chakotay's names. Neelix has a plan, and Wix, in some way, is compelled to help Neelix see it through. Act 5. Neelix and Wix do the one thing that no one expects. 
they actually tell the truth in exchange for certain concessions to be made so that everyone wins in this situation. Well, except for those who don't. Neelix and Wix know exactly how illegal activities are slipping past Barat's security measures because they, in fact, were able to do the same thing. So... In exchange for not having charges brought against either of them, and in exchange for clearing Tom and Chakoste's names from false accusations, Neelix and Wix are willing to use themselves and a little bit of Voyager's warp plasma as bait to lure out the real criminals in this entire affair, the Kaladi traitors. Later, in a clandestine area on the station, Neelix and Wix meet with several Kaladi, including their leader, Tosin. However, after Tosin examines the warp plasma canister and discovers that it's compromised, Neelix reveals to all, in a strange twist of honesty, that this was all a setup from the start, and that the warp plasma container has been slowly leaking volatile material in the air, and no one should think about firing a gun at him, or boom. Well, when Barat appears to arrest Tosin and his crew, one of them gets twitchy, and well, you know, boom. Neelix manages to escape the room turned into a fireball, but later, not the fiery wrath of Captain Janeway in sickbay. As Neelix recovers from his burns, Janeway fires a disappointment torpedo right at him, and it definitely hits home. Neelix admits that all he wanted was a map of the Expanse to prove to Janeway that he still has value to her, and that is why he betrayed his principles. Janeway explains that no matter his position on the ship, his first duty is to the truth, and his duties after that are to the obligations to his found family. But first, a little penance in the form of scrubbing the exhaust manifolds. The end. Man... For a story that's so heavy on uh, Neelix, I, I, I gotta say, uh, you know, sometimes my my frustration with Neelix grows. Other times, I just want Neelix to get a break. And like at the very beginning, at the very top mm-hmm. of the show, I can't some of these crew members just like show the tiniest shred of enthusiasm <laughs> for him being there. Not like he's just always a pest. I mean, I, I, Bellana's busy, Tuvok's busy. I got it. But there's only 140 of you or so. Like, it, take the extra hands, right? Leadership is about setting the right example. It is. You know, for people who want to learn. It's not like he's slacking. He wants to learn. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe he needs some time in the holodeck. Maybe you can learn from there you know, create a holodeck teacher to help him. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe that's a good idea. Maybe the writers can work that in in the next several episodes that we're covering. Yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. I got to say, you know, we had talked about uh, Jesus Trevino's work in DS9. Really like the handheld camera work in these opening scenes. Just a lot of fluid movement and especially like that shot of Milana kind of on the inside of the rail next to the warp core. And the camera is just kind of moving around that, letting her move, following uh, Neelix. Like just some good creative choices there. And I do have to say, look, I already gave it away in the uh, in the trivia, but my first note when I watched the episode for the first time, it was like, great, there's a brand new Vulcan character. I wonder if he'll be dead before the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, like, are, are they going to do that? Like, we're introducing a Vulcan. This could be an interesting guy. And so far, only Vulcan has been Tuvok. Are they going to let him live? Well, I mean, I liked seeing a new Vulcan. Yeah. And it's funny because... 
he kind of pushes back a little bit, like gives Balana advice on her job. Yeah. And she doesn't bloody his face like she did with Carrie, like way earlier right. on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in that same scene, she doesn't have time to teach Neelix something, but she does have time to take, you know, slack from Vorik, you know, static from Vorik saying, I think you should do it better this way. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm Vulcan and we know everything. Yeah. Right. But, but I do like that idea of bring me both. You know, it, because it's like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, yeah. If I got time, I'm going to try them both. So, yeah, those yeah. are the, like the the two sides of leadership. One very helpful. The other, I'm annoyed by everybody. Yeah, so. yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, by the way, speaking of annoying everybody at breakfast, mm-hmm. where did Neelix get fresh gawk in the Delta Quadrant for a crew? <laughs> I know for a special Klingon breakfast. I know. Does it, is it something like in the Aeroponics Bay? Are they growing gawk in there? You know, did uh, know. did Milana have a stash when they picked her up from the Maquis? It's so hard to tell. Who knows? Good gosh. Hope it's not replicated gosh because nobody wants no. that. And by the it way, Neelix, do a survey. Do a survey of your audience to find out what they want. I think that's mm-hmm. the way to go. Then there's not so much disappointment. I, I do like our introduction to the station, and I just love like how you have a busy administrator, and that's just in all parts of the galaxy. Doesn't matter where yep. you are. That guy, this is going to be an overworked paper pusher. Mm-hmm. So I, I really I appreciated his surliness and his indifference, <laughs> and I like the design of his control room. I like all the tech around him. It was colorful. It was interesting. Fun way to meet him. I it it was like. You could tell that there were those grates that they use almost every single time you want to have shorthand for industrial lighting pattern yep. A. Yep. Just <laughs> like, bring in that stuff. Yeah. It works. You know, yeah. it works. Neelix gets really uncomfortable very quickly. His body language says, I don't know anything at all yeah. about anything about being a guide. And they know it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the tricky you can thing. Just tell. But isn't that the tricky yeah. thing, though? Because the character has to convey that to the audience. But in the mm. real world, like anybody on that bridge would pick up on that. You're like, you have no idea what you're doing here. <laughs> you know? Right. So our computer has basically said the things that you don't tell us. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I like all the. I, I thought about that trading post, that station as being like little shades of DS9, but even grittier, yeah. like even dirtier. But yeah, great mood lighting, a lot of shadows, cool stuff. I like it when Tom and Chakotay are walking around a very kind of grayish black and white palette down there at the trading post. Yeah. And they're in their colorful Starfleet uniforms. Right. Like, hey, right. sell drugs to me. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? I'm not a narc. These are the new guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a narc at all. <laughs> As they're in there, though, like you mentioned, those dark palettes, but a lot of creative makeup applications on the different aliens that we meet. Like, that was cool in the way that I always appreciated uh, the depth that DS9 had and the variety that DS9 had, just extras everywhere, and they all have a different makeups and stuff. This was kind of a throwback to that. I thought it was a, it was good because you don't see like a lot of variety all the time yeah. in you know these kind of settings. I think in the episode where um, you know where, where Janeway was trying to infiltrate that base, and then she was playing against the. The feelings of that, um, oh, who was it? Joel Gray. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. And there's you know? just, yeah, very little makeup. Or the marketplace was very human. Yeah, yeah. Or you go centric. to, you know, yeah. planet pipe cleaner in your hair, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. That was the other oh, one. Who doesn't want to go there? <laughs> that gives me pleasure. <laughs> 
what doesn't give me pleasure, <laughs> looking for maps in the 24th century. Mm. Why are mm-hmm. maps so hard to find? It's not like you're going to roll out this like this parchment, you know, this scroll of, oh, look at this. Yeah. I have not seen this map in eons. Right, you right. Know? Like, no. It's supposed to be a digital map. Yeah, everybody's got GPS. Um, yeah. You would think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You need to um, consolidate that information. Yeah. Also, that which did not give me pleasure in this episode <laughs> Vorix Vulcan wig. What is up with that? I mean, like, they've perfected Vulcan wigs yeah. since the original series. Yeah. Why is his hair so whack looking? It's a step backward. I, they're trying to make him look younger, I guess, or not as much like Tarek. I, I don't know, but it, there, there's something not. Oh, Vorix, that hipster Vulcan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. That's, <laughs> that's who he is. Yeah. By the way, yeah. who wins in a fight? Is it magnetic spindle bearings or self sealing stem bolts? I got to know. On this side of the corner, we have, <laughs> and yeah, uh, well, the self-stealing, uh-huh, self-stealing, yeah. Stem, yeah, no, that's tougher. It's de- okay, they win because they're tougher to pronounce. Okay, fair enough. Right? I get his picture. They can also repair themselves. Yeah, they can. I, I get his, I can picture Andre like savoring. Right, ooh, I'm going to come up with a thing that for this episode: magnetic spindle bearings, of course. And once you come up with that phrase, how can you not have it in there? Are those like fidget spinners? I see they, fidget they spinners might now. Be. That's all you can picture, right? Yeah, that, those win. Mm. Uh, okay, also winning Wix's overcoat because mm. when you want to like create shady roguish character, you give him an overcoat. Yep. You're like, what does he have in that overcoat? Magnetic spindle bearings or cell sealing stem? Maybe bolt? you both. don't know. Maybe they're they're fighting it out in that coat. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Yep. I like the whole Wix saying, "I have a plan." And it's to do this and that, to do this and that. And it's, again, you're trying to see how they're trying to portray this character to the audience. And in my mind, I'm like, wow, this is so obviously a con. Yeah. How does Neelix not see that this is a con? Yeah. Being from the same hard scrabble streets of Talaxia that Wix is from. Yep. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, poor guy. By the way, I, and look, I, I know that we shouldn't obsess over these kind of details how does wix know uh, okay how, how does wix know that there's a phaser in that cabinet on the shuttle he's just so casually like okay it's time to beam down uh, okay i'm just going to open this door and grab a face and start programming it <laughs> you know yeah yeah okay he just does there's that problem and then there's the also the problem of let's bring a gun to this whole complicated situation because yeah. that's always a good idea yeah right mm-hmm the blue-faced alien shows up yep. and, you know, you're like, hey, it's kind of like, again, for the audience, didn't this guy just try and push drugs before? This makes him a bad guy. Yeah. And now he's here. What's he going to do? He's going to steal their drugs no. and pull a gun on them. Der. Yeah. Yeah. But at least, like, it's about time that we got Inspector Tuvok. Like, of all the times, you know, think about a macrocosm. We were seriously missing some Tuvok in full security mode making sure that the ship is secure like he's just nowhere to be found but here at least we're in act three by the time we get to tuvok doing some security work some investigatory work so good and about time now i just hear the earwig in my head go tuvok go yeah you're welcome people yep barat's jacket another great oh, coat in this episode so that collar is so, like he's wearing a wookie scalp yeah. like around his neck that, that thing is gorgeous beautiful lush life of its, it's own. lush yep yeah i love that so yeah you have these great overcoats going on in this episode yeah who knew a little more on the serious note yeah. i really think that ethan when he's given the opportunity to act 
the acting is all in his subtleties. Yeah. When he's being questioned by Tuvok, wow. He is just, you can see him squirm like yeah. on the hot plate, like on the proverbial hot plate. And it's, it's incredible to watch, but we rarely get these moments from him. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the moral of the story is savor these moments because they don't come Well, off. and it's totally different from that opening scene where he has no idea what's in the Necrot Expanse and not covering that well. Here, it's like, okay, a much more naturalistic performance where I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get through this, but I don't know. But yeah, it, very good stuff. I'm bringing up my first timestamp. That's 24 okay. minutes and 12 seconds. Tuvok uses the word verisimilitude. Yes. An incredibly great word. Yep. And shout out to all the Richard Donner Superman fans out there. Uh-huh. Nicely done. A little done. trivia for you. Nicely done. Yeah. Hey, we have a 47 buried in the type of container that Tom is looking for, the L647X7. By the way, can't they just replicate the container that they need? They could do that. But no, they, they have a room full of boxes they have to go in. Yeah. I guess it's like me, you know, keep boxes for things, you know. <laughs> so that's it. In case. Just in case. Just, you never know when you need a box. Just in case, yeah. I, I love that conversation, though, with uh, Neelix trying to get some info out of Tom. Like, um, you know, can you just tell me about your criminal background and what it's like to be in prison? No reason. <laughs> he just, just, oh, hey, Tom, how are you? Right? Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> tell me why you're – yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It, yeah, it's, it's a weird starter. Yeah. Um, but going all the back to – I can't believe I'm going to pull this from memory. Yeah. Departureition. Right? Yeah. Or, or Spaghetti Fight. Yeah. Either title. Yeah. So Neelix was so jealous of Tom at one point, he wanted to know everything about him and why Cass was supposedly falling for Tom. You would think something like this would have come up. Remember when they were on the shuttle and they were having conversation time? Mm, mm-hmm. You would think that they would have maybe stumbled across this part of the conversation at some point in time yeah. in their, you know, in, the, in their clashings over, over Cass. Right. I don't know. So tell me about your time in jail. Yeah. Yeah. How was it for you? Was it fun? <laughs> but at the end of that conversation, Tom says to Neelix, after I'm done here, a bunch of us are going to go to the resort. Okay. All right. Time out here. Because when he says we're going to the resort, we have to assume that the resort is not a thing on the station because surely that can't be a thing in real life. So he must mean the holodeck again with their club bro med. Club bro man. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. Uh, by the way, if you don't remember, the last time we were in there, it was just a bunch of terrified resort models being attacked by giant flying viruses. If they're going to that, I want to see it. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, hilarious to me. Wait, are you saying that they didn't purge the program so it just continues the story maybe, from when maybe they, they just, last they left off? They the door. They're just all terrified, screaming. Just carnage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just B-movie all <laughs> over again. I, I do like this moment of... Of Neelix changing his mind, and then when he has a new plan, that it's Tom and Chakotay who are arrested. Like I, I thought that was yeah. a, a nice moment to build, and then ooh, you are just too late. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it, it adds a little bit more to the drama. Yeah, and I think it was actually it was done well. It was balanced well, so that it wasn't you know too heavy handed in the transition of that story. Um, I really liked the little like nuanced moment with Neelix and Vorik because it's just this affirmation of Vorik. Why do you like being here? It's like, this is a pretty good deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're in the Delta quadrant, but we got three hots and a cot. We got a ship. We get to do fun stuff. What's not to like? And Neelix is like, yeah, that's not bad. Right. (laughs) I think I'm going to change my mind. 
Oh, Tom and Dakota get arrested. Darn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's good stuff. I, I was really amused by the circumstantial evidence. I, I just, I love Barat just pointing out, look, there's your man and there's the guy who was killed. Done. Yep. <laughs> so that, was, that was fun. Uh, love the makeup on uh, the Kalati. It was just so cool. That, that was a great looking makeup. Um, Let me ask you a question yeah. then. Like, you have this great idea for the Kalati. Yeah. And like, Somewhere along the line in my headcanon, like, it was a rejected idea for the Kazon. Sure. Yeah. Like, no, they're too angry looking. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Too much like Predator or whatever. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I can they're, imagine they're, they're too scary. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Neelix first, you know, he considers getting the warp plasma from Voyager, and then he hatches his plan to Barat, and they get some of that, like, less good warp plasma, which you have to assume is somewhat dangerous. It has to be in that container. But, like... It's okay to just leak a little bit of it. Yeah, like if you're going to give it a sniff. <laughs> like it's just, it's okay. What's a, Why not? What's a little plasma between friends? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of plasma, yeah. so why does Neelix and like say, even Tozen, yeah. like at the end, they keep saying it plasma. That was weird. Yes. Right? It's like an alien pronunciation just, of it. Yeah. Just in that one specific scene, it's like, well, plasma. here's the container of plasma. Yeah. What did you do to the plasma? Yeah. I don't know. Do you want the plasma? I'm like, what? And then all yeah. of a sudden, like the next scene, like Jane was talking about, well, the plasma canister. That was great. I was like, yeah, yeah you're saying it right. right. Yeah. What happened? What happened to plasma? They, they were trying to pull a Patrick right. Stewart on us all, uh, changing our pronunciation of data to data. They were trying to seed that in the world. Like, come on, just say it, plasma. That's the way everybody says it. Nobody. Could. John, are you saying that they sabotaged the script? I'm saying they sabotaged it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, it's sabotage. The script. Yeah. Tell me how to say sabotage. You say it's sabotage. I say sabotage. sabotage. Man, good scene. I love Neelix going full on shoot me mode. I mean that that was it's one of those dramatic type scenes where you've seen other other contexts, other movies, but he played it. He really I got nothing left to lose. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. That was great. I do have to point out here, Kess is literally the next to last person who even talked to Neelix in sick bay. <laughs> so I guess their relationship mm. is a total backseat now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I w remember that. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Very afterthoughty. Yeah, it was very mm. afterthought. And man, again, just e even my skin crawled because I do not want to disappoint Janeway in any way whatsoever. You do not want the disappointment speech. Because that hurts. No, it, yeah. it's brutal. Yeah, it is. It's brutal. I, I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, I feel so. I feel ashamed, yeah. <laughs> right? And you didn't even do anything, right? But you're feeling no, I'm just it. Like, yeah. Oh God, yeah. I feel mm -hmm. so ashamed. I'm so. I, I I did so wrong by you, Janeway. Yeah. And I wasn't even there. And you're not real. But I feel that you're real. Yeah. Well, especially when she says something like, and we know this line. Yeah. You know, we know. You know, the first duty of any Starfleet officer is to the truth. Oh, she brought that yes, up. Yes, right into my veins. Yes, I love it. She also says this thing like, you're part of the family now and you have obligations, which full-on Godfather mode, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> but but a, a good line that I'm just, I'm not going to argue with Janeway. But I have a... Does that make Neelix Fredo? Oh, I think it does. I think it does. But I, I have a much mm. more important question. Who right now is in the exhaust manifold doing the deuterium maintenance because Neelix has to go there for two weeks. So then like, does the original guy have to go back to that job? 
Running low on plasma? Come on down to Plasma Plaza for all your plasma needs. Leave your charged energy weapons at home. We'll be right back after a word from this week's sponsors. You know, Norman, we have pointed out so many times, like there is this weaving of cocktail culture and Star Trek. I don't think that's a big surprise to anyone, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I always go back to that scene. I, I love Dr. Boyce telling Pike that a man will tell his bartender things that he won't tell his doctor. And then you have so many poignant moments of, you know, taking a toast to commemorate a moment or to share a friendship. Like, that's this part of what makes Star Trek very often feel personal and real and grounded. And for all of those reasons, I think that's why it's so cool when you have a company like Star Trek Spirits come along and really honor that with a quality product. And uh, we can confidently say that because, of course, we've gotten product from StarTrekSpirits.com, the Robbie and the Nail vodka and the Robbie and the Nail rye. Mm -hmm. We tried it and we savored it. And we also like sharing it with friends, you know, and it, it wouldn't count. It wouldn't feel appropriate if you weren't getting that beautiful sculpted bottle, limited edition, individually numbered bottles that took them so long to develop. And, and it's not just about the look. It really is about the product inside. And that's why they worked with a world-class spirits team, because they were just as concerned about the quality of what went inside that bottle. I mean, one of the one of the great things about being a fan right now is we're having this incredible crossover between a prop and a product. Mm -hmm. And this is that perfect marriage of the spirits that go into the bottle and the bottle itself. I mean, their goal at Star Trek Spirits was to create this new line of ultra premium spirits worthy of the Star Trek universe. That means you. That means the fans, because we're probably the biggest critics out there of these types <laughs> of products that are released. They have to first look great, but they also, as spirits go, they also have to taste great and they have to be something that's premium mm -hmm. so that you can share it with your friends and it can be a, a robust experience when you have gatherings and watch new series and etc. So they work together with the Star Trek prop masters and the team at Star Trek Library and they got the original designs for this Romulan bottle, especially the front artwork application. And they mm -hmm. used metallic gold hot stamping so to make sure that that design, the signature Romulan design on that bottle, was bulletproof. I mean, you can go through mm -hmm. a dishwasher. I have done it many times because I've refilled my bottle several. There you uh, go. And it, it comes out perfect every single time. It's well-preserved. But they also have this incredible futuristic and functional Vino seal glass topper so that it protects any of the uh, of the angels' share. Mm -hmm. the, yep. Deeper Keep it in the bottle. Exactly. Yeah. In yeah. there. You don't want any Romulan angels no. flying out of your bottle. You want to keep Siphoning it in there. off your booze. Yeah, because yeah, we don't want Romulan envy at all. So that kind of technology takes years to perfect, and we finally have that in the spirit and the bottle. I got to say, I love it when people text me or send me a message. Hey, I got my Romulan ale bottles. Can't wait to drink it. And then we see people toasting with a glass in our uh, Discord chats. So join us as we explore this universe together, reimagining old classics and producing this new line of spirits that will be sought out by spirits and Star Trek fans alike. And act now because they will and they have sold out. Visit StarTrekSpirits.com today for your Romulan Ale Vodka and Romulan Ale Rye. And you, as Mission Log listeners, can take 10% off your order with our special code Roddenberry at checkout. And that is at StarTrekSpirits.com.
Hello, my name is Tawny Newsom. I play Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. I am Paul F. Tompkins, and I play Dr. Miglimo on Star Trek Lower Decks. But more importantly, we're just a couple of Star Trek nerds who are excited because we finally get to talk about Star Trek again with all of you. And we will be featuring Deep Space Nine guests to celebrate the show's 30th anniversary. We're going to be talking Picard Season 3 with members of the original The Next Generation cast. Listen to Star Trek The Pod Directive wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes what I'll do is uh, I'll have a thought in a previous segment and I'm I'm saving it for this segment. <laughs> because I have to tell you, my friend, if you didn't mm-hmm. know this already, there is a big honking scene missing situation in this episode giant and i'm not just making up one in my head where sometimes we'll say like oh they probably this thing happened off screen or wow i wish they had really shot this thing to fill in this gap no 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 i'm talking about an actual scene that was filmed it was written it was filmed it was performed and then they had to cut it because there wasn't enough time and that was toward the end before Neelix goes off on his potential death mission here with the warp plasma, okay, mm-hmm. he and Kess had a moment in the science lab talking about the relationship ending. Well, you did say I'm, – I'm, I'm looking uh, back at trivia. I just want to make yep. sure that I'm not speaking out of turn. But you did mm-hmm. say that this was shot out of order. So – only yeah, but but the only uh, uh, direction, the the only mention of the relationship, not even having anything to do with that next episode because that only had to do with uh, Varric. Vorek. Okay. The, I just didn't Vulcan. know yeah. if any other scene would have no nope. mm, had no okay. bearing on it. The, this was specifically to address something has changed with Neelix and Kess, and mm. now they're going to actually acknowledge that they're winding down their relationship and stay friends and that's Mm -hmm. cool but man it's too bad we didn't get that of course it's a dramatic thing anyway that neelix thinks that he may be about to die and i think that would have lent even more weight to that moment where he's doing just shoot me just shoot me because then there's some some emotional layering underneath that as well it isn't just like well maybe he's playing the part it's like, no, wait, he's actually said his goodbye to the person he cares about the most. Right. So I, I – And then I, any reconciliation after that would have been awkward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Maybe. So it's too bad. It, it was filmed. Everyone liked it. But it was a five-minute scene and there was no room in the edit. Look, personally, I would have cut the scene with Tom with the, the crate and the tell me about your time in prison. <laughs> But I really wish this is a scene that we would get back because I think it's so important just to have that continuity for the characters and for their relationship. But I also think it would have given some depth to the other things that happen in the episode. It's an interesting thing you bring that up with Tom and Neelix because if they wanted to add and save time for the scene that you think – and I do believe – I agree with Mm -hmm. that. I think that there should have been that goodbye scene or at least the scene where they're saying we're kind of done – they chose the Tom and Neelix relationship over the Kess and Neelix relationship yeah, to right. make a point in the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. It's a weird choice. Yeah. It's a yeah. very weird choice. I would also like to nominate just if I'm making up <laughs> a lost scene because uh, that, that one was real. The relationship scene was real. I'm very curious how Neelix would have convinced Wicks to let him go ahead and tell the truth 
and come up with this other potentially very deadly plan to fix all of this. So that is not a scene that was written, but I feel like it could have or should have been there because Wix has had this life of crime since he's two parted ways years ago, right? And he's mm-hmm. just kind of living on the edge and uh, uh, just bad turn after bad turn. And here they've taken all of these steps to get involved in this scheme that is failing turn after turn. And Neelix finally has the the resolve to say, no, we're going to tell the truth. And that feels like the last thing that Wicks would have wanted ever in this situation. So I, I kind of wish we'd had a moment there about Neelix really pouring his heart out about the importance of the truth, which then maybe would have fed into the importance of his confession to Janeway afterward. But can't have everything. I can't write you know a novel out of this. You know what, though? This fits in very well with the missing cast scene because maybe Wicks was a witness to that and said oh. if he chose to do the you know to do the right thing and actually sacrificed his relationship to Kess yeah. which broke his heart it means that he really actually does have this you know this uh this noble cause that he's serving now and it's not just you know it's not just you know empty promises and hollow you know pursuits that Wix thinks it is because he thinks he knows Neelix. Good TNG title shout out there. Thank you. Oh, Thank yeah, you. Nice dudes. Yeah. So, so like Wix is like, you know, getting ready to say, hey, okay, let's, let, let's take care of business down on the planet. And then like the door is ajar just a little bit and he hears Neelix and Kess mm. and they're both heartbroken. And Neelix goes, I have to do this because this is what I've learned from being on the ship is you have to do the right thing because there's no other way. But that means also losing you. And Wix yeah. is like, wow, he really is real about this. Yeah. I've never seen this before. And it affects him profoundly. Right. Right. To do that. Because without that, Wix is like, yeah, okay, Neelix, you're right. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, I'm not sold, you know, as an audience member, like, yeah, Wix just turns. Like, you know, he turns coat and just like, yeah, okay, sure. You got me. Let's, let's do the right thing. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I, I do feel like, you know, what one of the uh, interesting aspects that we do get out of this episode and scenes that are very clear and present in the show, it's, it's playing with this idea about the the uh, I, I guess that that continual integration of non Starfleet personnel into a Starfleet environment. Like we do criticize sometimes that, OK, we gave very short shrift to the Maquis story that just suddenly they're on board. Now they're Starfleet. Oh, but they have this insignia that that makes them look different <laughs> from the other Starfleet. But we don't really talk about it. Like it's, they didn't quite know how to get their arms around that concept mm-hmm. in the series. But there's a real opportunity here to explore this with Neelix because I, I I'm very interested in this idea that he could go through a time that he feels like his usefulness is coming to an end and he doesn't know where he belongs. Like there's uh, all this talk about what a great place Voyager is, what a great crew it is, how amazing Captain Janeway is. But what if he truly doesn't feel like he belongs? Um, Balanced out with this idea of, you know, Voyager being a family within this larger family, again, completely foreign to Neelix. Mm-hmm. And he he then has to accept the role and responsibility that comes with that. Completely foreign to how he has lived his life 
up to this moment. And I wish we'd be able to dig maybe even a little bit deeper about that, kind of the the managerial concern to make sure that he is useful and has satisfaction in what he's doing because we really blow that off in the teaser, (laughs) you know? And then what do we get at the end? We get Neelix getting the dressing down by Captain Janeway. But I think there's a really sensitive, important part of Neelix's journey here going on that we kind of sidestep around. Well, there are two interesting things at play here because in the beginning, you're seeing Janeway's quote-unquote found family dismissing Neelix at every turn. Yeah. But her at the end saying, you have an obligation to this found family to do the right thing. But they're not treating him well at the beginning. No. You know, and I can forgive Belana a little bit because she's not technically Starfleet, not like towing the Starfleet line of mm-hmm. inclusion and acceptance and, you know, giving someone else the benefit of the doubt. And I'm surprised that Tuvok actually gets irritated by Neelix because he's Vulcan. Yeah. Irritability isn't part of his vocabulary. Right. So he has to find a logical reason why Neelix can't perform certain duties because either he wasn't trained properly, he hasn't gone through the rigorous training that's needed to run Starship Security, he hasn't gone through a formal program, etc. Those are Mm -hmm. logical milestones that you have to achieve in Tuvik. Tuvok's eyes. <laughs> Tuvok's eyes. <laughs> I got myself. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But but no, and, and to that point, it would be very logical for Tuvok to size up anybody in the crew and say, you know what, having an extra set of eyes, an extra pair of hands on my security team, even if it's in the most minor way, that would be really helpful. Uh, yeah, because Tuvok cannot and is not everywhere at once. No, and I know this sounds funny, but maybe stick Neelix, I don't know, security detail in the shuttle bay? Sure. They literally stole a shuttle in this episode (laughs) and returned it. Yes. And no one blinked at all in dialogue or reference at all. They got the phaser, but they don't get the shuttle? Yeah, okay. I'm glad you brought that because that is my tech-to-tech note. For this episode, okay, at the time of the shooting, Wicks and Neelix, they they weren't just on the station. They literally had a shuttle. So it wasn't like they just somehow ended up on the station with a bunch of other people. Like, no, 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 they literally had a shuttle. So just by Wicks telling Tuvok that he was in bed, I mean, that's that's this is phony straight up because, no, 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 you got a shuttle. (laughs) You, you, You had the shuttle. Plus... Uh, the phaser itself, I mean, where did it go? Did you just put it back in the same cabinet? I guess they did. I think Neelix mentioned, oh, it's in the shuttle. But can we not account for the location of the phasers, which may or may not have been fired? And what about transporter logs for that moment? Like, does the transporter log of the shuttle not communicate with the rest of Voyager's computer system? This is, oof, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on here with this plan that uh, that just does not add up. But yeah, literally. Well, hang on. You said stole a shuttle. What we got out of the dialogue was Wicks telling Neelix, you can't share the details of what we're doing. Semantics. Yeah, but I I think I in my in my head canon at least, I think Neelix said, Hey Captain, I need a shuttle because we need to do this thing because we can get the I forget the made up element that Chakotay needs. 
plus we're going to deliver medical supply. Okay, fine. I'm going to sign off on that. But th- that just becomes very – it should be very apparent to Tuvok. Uh, these two people just uh, you know, ran off with a shuttle. <laughs> they were there. The shuttle was parked right outside the station. Well, then I guess it, it's worse than stealing in Janeway's final analysis and estimation because it's lying. Right. Yeah. You know, you're you're working yeah. under the auspices of trust and honesty, and that's the Starfleet way. And then all right. of a sudden, yeah, you're right. Neelix is like, I'm going to borrow this shuttle to ferry Wicks back to the planet, and you know, that's going to take X amount of time. Somewhere along the way, there's a detour that goes over here, and that's not in the logs for some reason. When they download like the shuttle's navigational logs, and yeah. they pick up something, you know, so. I think the biggest issue is moving forward with this particular series is that they are so prideful of teching the tech because this is the Technobabble series right. that unless it's actually so well dialed in, it's not. And it sticks out when it's not. Yeah. Because yeah. we're those kind of fans that were like, well, <laughs> you know, and especially with like the shuttles that just don't grow on trees in the Delta Quadrant. Right. You know, if there are five shuttles that they left with and two of them or three of them are gone, there are only two shuttles left because you don't have to know teching the tech to know basic math. Right. 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 Yeah. So uh, one last thing, though, Mm -hmm. and maybe this also fits in. I'm I am so kind of I'm focused on the scene with cats now that should have been. Okay. because I do think that there's a lesson here that was starting to 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 kind of kind of form in a way where it makes sense of why let's say Wix would have turned and and chosen to help Neelix out at the end like we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Wix said your plan is crazy. It's worse than prison. It's a death sentence. And then Neelix says that would be better than living a lie. And then Wix, this is the unwritten script yeah. that ties in the Kess scene. He goes, "Is that what you told Kess?" Ooh, snap. Right? And then, you know, just a couple more lines of, he goes, that's what I told her, and that's why I had to leave her, you know, because I need to make this right. And if it means me, you know, sacrificing my life in order to save my name and regain my honor, then isn't that worth this? And and Wix is like, you're definitely not the Talaxian that I knew, right? Man, how do we get you into a writer's room? You got to get me the hat. This is the episode where we can tell Neelix is definitely a guy. He is profoundly uncomfortable pulling over and asking for directions. Well, we had a nice long conversation about an interesting series, but the conversation gets us to, does this episode hold up? And the morals and meanings and message. So I think that's a fair trade for fair trade. Oh, that is very fair, Norman. Yeah, thank you for Wouldn't bringing you say, us to that John? point. Yeah. Well, I tell you <laughs> what, I will jump right in with uh, with my assessment of whether or not the episode holds up. And I will say this at the start. I am so glad, so relieved and grateful that we have reached a place in the Delta Quadrant that is beyond Neelix's experience and understanding. This should have happened much sooner. <laughs> but I'm glad that we finally addressed it. But I mean, really, it, we are led to believe that Voyager is the most advanced vessel in the Delta Quadrant, at least that we've come to so far, that we've encountered so far, definitely more advanced than Neelix's ship. And if Voyager is 
taking its mission of getting home seriously, they should be traveling at high speed all the time, even during summer hiatus, right? And we should have gotten well past any place at Neelix. So let's say, let's say that in these three, not even three years, two and a half years, let's say that Neelix's ship only travels half that speed, okay? That's mm-hmm. five years in one direction and five years back for Neelix. I don't think that Neelix would have spent 10 years of his life just doing that, just moving from point A to point B. So, because he's got to make a living in there somewhere too, you know. Uh, so I'm glad that we finally addressed that. We've finally gone past the area that he knows. And I feel like maybe now we can kick into gear something else that Neelix can contribute you know, we tease that thing about him him being the ambassador. So let, let's see more and better down the road. In this episode, I feel like the guest stars really strong, really like the layers that we got out of Wix. I mean, just there was a lot happening there. Mm-hmm. And again, I mentioned it at the top in the trivia, but Jesus Trevino, really creative director. I love how the camera kept moving. He made very interesting use of set pieces. I I wish that we got more of him in Voyager. He did three nice episodes of DS9, but wow, his creativity really would have shined here, I think, as well. Saying all that, I think the episode gives a bit more depth to Neelix that we don't see too often, and that's cool, because when we do see it, it's very satisfying. I I don't like to see Neelix as relegated to a one-trick pony, just kind of shows up, they do a joke about food or his vlog, and then we're done. I don't know if the story itself is really outstanding. There are just a lot of common elements you would find in stories like this, but but by pushing Neelix forward and by pushing Voyager forward, I feel like it accomplishes something in that respect, if that's what we want to get out of this episode. So I have to say, while it may not blow your socks off, it's a solid episode, and I think it does hold up in that respect. How about you? Mm-hmm. Well, I know this might sound like a backhanded compliment. Uh-oh. So I know, but in, in, in all honesty, and for me, and I use, you know, as as we do in in Mission Log, you know, we have our own you know take on this. Mm-hmm. So all these are caveated with for me. Like, so this is your average heist slash con slash redemption trope cocktail of a story. <laughs> That's the backhanded compliment. Okay, okay. But it's done so well, yeah. and it's acted so wonderfully yeah. that. Like you just said, John, like the whole episode, it just sits well for yeah. me. You know, it, it, it's well-grounded. Mm. Uh, even though the plot telegraphing was incredibly obvious, <laughs> right? At the same time, though, the performances were executed well. The production was very complex. The lighting at the trading post, the set design, the costume design, especially, say, Wix's, you know, his overcoat, yeah. Barat's overcoat. Um, of course, you know, you, you said that it was, you know, it won an award for hairstyling mm-hmm. for this episode. All of like the component parts that make for a very solid production are all there. They're all represented well. They don't really push anything forward. They don't really push the story to the extreme. They don't necessarily push a lot of the characterizations to the extreme. But when they do, they pick and choose their battles really well. And those were between those are the scenes between Neelix and Wix. Yeah. 
And Wicks is a guest star, though. He really stood out. Now, I do wish that he was just a little bit more seedy, more nefarious, because he was a little bit maybe too likable to be a con man. Okay. But sometimes that happens. They, like, let's go all the way back to, say, like, the original Battlestar Galactica with Fred Astaire yes, right. you know, as, uh, Starbucks, as Starbucks, you know, yeah. ne'er-do-well yeah. father, uh, chameleon or chameleon. Uh-huh. And, you know, he's very likable, yeah. but he's also a grifter and a con man. He's a very bad yeah. guy, you know, puts people in bad situations. And that's, I wanted maybe in this Delta Quadrant space, maybe a darker looking or a darker appeal to the Talaxians versus, say, Neelix's jovial, happy go lucky appeal. Yeah. But it wasn't always that way. Because what I also loved about this episode is we get to peel back another layer, layer in Neelix's past. Yeah. And we'd never really got that again since, say, Jatrell. Like, Jatrell was like the one episode where you got to see how dark Neelix can actually get. And I was hoping that that's where, say, Wix landed before he was redeemed in some way by reuniting with Neelix yeah. and finding, like, okay, this isn't the way I'm supposed to be. Neelix is kind of the way I'm supposed to be and setting me on a better path. But aside from that, again, it's just, it's very solid, it tells a good story. Uh, it's not com- entirely original, but not a lot of stories are nowadays, <laughs> even for 1996, sure. 97. So I- I'll give it, you know, I'll give it an A for effort yeah. and maybe a B minus for content. Yeah, I-, I think that's fair. And I and I think all of that kind of dovetails very nicely into morals, meanings, messages, because I think everything is pretty much on the surface, but that's not a bad thing. Like it, it is just sort of an easily digestible, easily understandable story here. And, you know, for me, I picked up things like, well, I, I just, I've always loved this quotation that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The, that that oh, yeah. lesson hinges on Neelix's journey the way it should be. He, he's mm-hmm. eager and anxious to help his crew. And we have this cascade of just small, questionable compromises, you know, these decisions that add up to something far more problematic. What should Neelix have done? I mean, I think you could game this out a number of different ways. Should he have stayed away and just abandoned his friend? Should he have told Janeway from the start? What could he, what should he have done? You know, to Janeway's point, the Voyager crew, they are his family. They do trust him. And he needed to return that courtesy. But very much to your point, Norman, they didn't always extend that courtesy to him. So maybe we need a Janeway intervention the other direction as well. Mm. You know, there's something nice hearing Tom Paris's words. I didn't tell the truth. I made a mistake, which happens to people. But if I had admitted to the mistake, it would have been a lot better. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I think that is very clear-cut, very uh, grounded, very understandable, relatable. And then, you know, you said just one of my favorite lines of all time, the first duty of any Starfleet officer is the truth. So says Janeway, so said Picard, and that is just a great rule to live by. That is Starfleet 101. Everybody, everybody and Starfleet needs to pay attention to that one. Also, I guess, look, kids, if you're listening, if someone asks you to just deliver a package and not ask any questions, don't do that. Save yourself some trouble, okay? So those are my lessons. <laughs> what about you? Solid yeah. lessons, especially yeah. the last yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, There was something that it came easily to me seeing this, and uh, it's that – I'm not sure if it's immoral. Maybe it's immoral. It's definitely a mm-hmm. message. You can't run from your past. 
but you can make peace with it to make a better future. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of stories out there that are done incredibly well. And, and I wouldn't say incredibly for this one, but it was done mm-hmm. well, where you see a character and we only know this character from point zero, which is where we meet the character from our vantage point. And it's always interesting to see certain things revealed with any character that you start with that don't necessarily, uh, they don't jibe with what you think you know. And then you get to learn about why they made decisions in the in the here and now that that was influenced by their past. And I think that that's where we are with Neelix. His past has really shaped the decision-making of his future, but the intervention of the Starfleet way has changed it for the better. And this is his moment to really reconcile putting away his past and the pain of that and allowing himself to become and allow himself the the emotional vulnerability to connect with this found family, whether or not they see that. Yeah. Right. Because I can't, I can't, you know, set aside that not everyone on the ship has treated him with open arms per se. Right. Right. right? But that's just in the writing and that's just in the characterizations to make drama. But when you feel like you can't make that final connection with new friends or a found family, please remember that you are not an outsider. Right. This is the Starfleet way. You do belong, even if you don't think you've earned the right to feel that way. But deception and lies covering up the past, dishonesty, distrust, all of these dig that rabbit hole of your own self-doubt and despair a little deeper. And it's a little harder to climb out because you just keep digging deeper because it's easier to maintain this lie that satisfies everyone rather than face the unknown reactions after telling the truth. And this is where we're at with Neelix. But once he does, the future is a lot brighter for him. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, Alter Ego. Some of the music for mission log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. No matter how far into space you are, or even which universe you're in, there's always somebody selling death sticks. End transmission. This is a Roddenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.